This morning's scripture will come from Matthew 7, verse 12. Matthew 7, verse 12. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law of the prophets. It is great to see you. It really is. It is good to have the Click family on row two. Uh, Kyle and his wife, Lindsay, and their two children, Bo and Jane. They are students at Bear Valley Bible Institute. And they will be graduating in May, I guess it is, June. June, and then going to Homer, Alaska uh, to work for the Lord's people. Please get to meet them if you haven't. They are really a special family. They are reporting to some of their uh, supporters and uh, heading back to Denver in a few days because Kyle's going to be in my class and preach next week. I get to listen to him and about nine other guys preach. Pray for me. And also pray for him. Pray for them. I have to admit, I'm one of them. There are topics that just seem to be a minefield. Politics. Moral issues. Favorite sports teams. People don't lack for opinions in these matters. And often those viewpoints are stated really strongly. I have to admit I'm one of those people, and this is one of those topics. To-do list. To-do list. People are certainly on both ends of the spectrum and every point in between as it concerns to-do lists. Some of you, when I mention the word to-do list, you go, yeah, that's exactly how I live my life. I have every day, every week, I have my plans and I try to live and get accomplished the things that I have on my to-do list. I don't always do it, but... That's how I live. And when you mention the expression to-do list, there are people that immediately respond, Ugh! Yuck! That that type of practice is about as far from who you really are as anything. I acknowledge I am a person that often has to-do list in my head and on paper. And the pros and the cons of to-do list. The pros would be something like this. A to-do list helps me be more efficient. Uh, a to-do list helps me have less stress in my life. It helps me accomplish things and that helps me to feel good. It helps me arrange things in an orderly and systematic way uh, as to how they need to be done. 
It also helps me to be able to evaluate as to how the week or month or year has even gone. But on the other side, the people that go, ugh, and yuck are going to say, to-do lists are overwhelming. The last thing I want to hear about is another to-do list. They stress me out. Rather than help me be more efficient, all they do is remind me of the things that don't get accomplished. I suspect that if we're all going to be realistic, we can relate to aspects of both, can't we? But what I want to share with you this morning is life's ultimate to-do list. I guarantee you that this to-do list will bless your life, give you a greater sense of joy and peace, and will have an impact on other people. The to-do list I'm talking about is just amazing. And I can guarantee it highly because it comes from God Himself. And it's found in His Word. You know... Before I talk about a to-do list, and I appreciate so much the songs that Waylon led as it talks about, as those songs spoke about responsibility and our working in the Lord, a very biblical concept. But I want to begin by saying, our God is a God who does more than we can immeasurably imagine. He does immeasurably above all that we ask or think. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. So anytime we talk about our responsibility as Christians, which is a very biblical topic, it seems to me that it's only right to talk about the fact that no one does more than God. And He does it because He loves us and wants us to be with Him forever. Everybody with me? Can I get an amen or an affirmative head shake on that one? God loves us and wants us to be with Him forever. Now what we're going to do is look at a to-do list consisting of eight items, eight guidelines. And keep in mind, God will help us to do the things that we should do. It's a guarantee. In order to have a richer and more fulfilled life. Open your Bibles to Matthew 7 and verse 12 for the first item or guideline in this to-do list. It was read for us just a moment ago. Whatever you would that others do to you, do even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. 
There's four concepts I'd like for us to focus on here. The first concept has to do with context. When you look at Matthew chapter 7, we are in the middle of the great Sermon on the Mount. But Matthew 7, 1 through 12 in particular, deal with judgment. It deals with our thinking and the judgments that we make. And how some thinking and some judgment is harsh and critical and over the top. Matthew 7, 1 through 6. And certainly we all can be guilty of that at times. But no one likes it when the shoe is on our foot and people are being harsh and overly critical to us. So what Jesus says about judgment is so practical here. But then he moves on in Matthew 7, 7 through 11, and speaks about how we have a tendency to judge God. As though the created is worthy and capable of adequately judging the creator. And the idea that Jesus brings out is this. Your Father is good, and He gives good gifts. How much more do we have a Father like that? If earthly fathers seek to give good gifts, how much more the heavenly Father? You see what He's saying? And you know, sometimes we have a tendency to think, God is not fair. God's holding out. Jesus says, watch your judgment. And then there is in verse 12, just a principle for our relationships with others. Seeing the context here, notice whatever you would that others do to you. This is a universal statement. Whatever you would that others do for you. Notice the term action, number three. Do even so to them. Fourth concept. For this is the law and the prophets. It's a summary concept. Watch your judgment. Watch your judgment. Harsh and critical and fault-finding. Watch your judgment of God. And then he positively states in verse 12, what we typically say, treat others the way you would want others to treat you. And there is a reason it's called the golden rule. It summarizes all relationships and is at the very heart of God's Word. The guideline, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. If we'd wake up every morning... I want to do to others the way I would want others to do to me. How much better life would be?
Same chapter for the second guideline. Matthew 7, 21 through 27. Matthew 7, 21 through 27. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 21, Not every man that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father who is in heaven. When you look at Matthew 7 here, notice verses 13 and 14, because this entire section is dealing with choice. Having dealt with judgment in 1 through 12, 13 through 27 deal with choice. Think clearly, choose wisely. We might say, you look at Matthew 7, 13 and 14, and Jesus says, choose the narrow way, not the broad way. Follow not a multitude to do evil. Exodus 23, verse 2. Secondly, notice verses 15 through 20. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, Choose what is fruitful, not what is fruitless and false. Choose what is fruitful. Not what is false and fruitless. And then look, if you will, at 21 through 27. And here's what Jesus says. Choose reality, not mere outward appearance. Choose reality, not mere outward appearance. You see, a house can have all of the stability, the appearance of stability, until the storm comes. Choose reality and not mere outward appearance. Doing the will of the Father. I know this. There are some things that are not complete guarantees of doing the Father's will. Notice Matthew 7, 21 and following. One can use the right vocabulary and be all wrong with God. How do I know that? In verse 21, how is God addressed? Lord, Lord. You can use the right vocabulary but still be all wrong with Jesus. Secondly, these people talk about things they have done and that tells me something. One can perform outstanding deeds. Just as one can speak the right vocabulary. One can perform outstanding deeds and be wrong with God. What does it mean to do God's will? By this section of Scripture in Matthew 7, 21, you might jot down Romans 6, 16 through 18. 
And those verses speak of doing God's will from the heart. From the heart. It's more than mere sincerity. You're doing God's will from the heart. You see, a person doesn't have to be a Christian to be sincere. But a person cannot be a faithful Christian without being sincere. Turn to John 15, verse 5. And as you turn there, let me just put those two from Matthew 7 together. May every day help me to say and live where I do to others what I would want others to do to me. Where I treat others the way I would want to be treated. May every day be a day that we sincerely seek to do Christ's will from our hearts. John 15, verse 5. It's an important passage given in the last week of our Lord's life. We refer to the section as the upper room discourse in John 14, 15, and 16. And John 15 especially deals with abiding in Christ. Abiding in Christ. To remain in Him, to continue in Him, to understand that our life is in the vine and that Jesus is the vine. It is John 15 and verse 5 that says, Apart from me, this is Jesus talking, apart from me, you can do nothing. You see it? Think about how true that is. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing that is of eternal consequence. We need Him. We derive our life and our sustenance from Him, our existence. But a lot of people can pay lip service to that. And yet, not really believe, apart from me, you can do nothing. I know this. Apart from Jesus, people can really mess things up. Or apart from Jesus, people can really be successful in the eyes of the world. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Number four, let's go to Romans. Romans chapter 4, verse 21. Romans 4 and verse 21. God, every day help me to realize that apart from you I can do nothing, so help me to do your will from the heart and treat others the way I would be treated. I would want to be treated. 
Romans 4 verse 21, in a section dealing with faith and especially using Abraham as an illustration of saving faith, the passage says that Abraham was fully persuaded that God is able to do what he promised. God is able to do what he promised. Think about Abraham. God had promised him that he and his wife would have a child, a son. When they were both well past childbearing years. God had promised Abraham that he would give Abraham a land and a people from his lineage through whom would come one who would bless all the nations of the world. Being fully persuaded that God was able to perform what he promised. Abraham we think of as a man of great faith. And I want you to know when you study the life of Abraham, he wasn't perfect. He had some some bumps along life's way. And so will you and I. But he is known as the friend of God and a man of great faith because basically this is the motto he lived by. God is fully able to do, to perform what he promised. Is that the motto you live by? Even when you encounter speed bumps in the fast lane of life. God is able to fully do what he promised. When I ask him to forgive me of my sins as a Christian, God is able to fully do what he's promised. When God tells me that the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, God is able to perform what he's promised. When I think about a promise like Romans 8.28 that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to His purpose, God is able to do what He's promised. God cannot lie. Titus 1 verse 2. You picked great songs, Waylon, this morning. How about standing on the promises? Because God is able to fully do what He's promised. And we believe it. Turn to 1 Corinthians. Two passages in the book of 1 Corinthians. The first one is 1 Corinthians 9.23. An interesting passage indeed. Paul would write, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. Catch the exertion there. I do all things. And then catch the rationale. For the sake of the gospel.
Big Jeff, is every word you say and everything you do for the sake of the gospel? Will, is everything you say and do and things you won't do because of the gospel? Brother Clay, is everything that we think and say and do for the gospel's sake? And sometimes in my own life, I don't like the answer that I have to give. I do all things for the sake of the gospel. And 1 Corinthians chapter 9 revolves around a context where he talks about being the apostle to the Gentiles, and yet at the same time, his, his Jewish background... And how he would be all things to all men without compromise of the gospel. For the sake of the gospel that others might partake in the blessings of the gospel. I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that others might partake of the blessings of the gospel. That passage ought to impact every Christian's heart. That passage ought to shape the way every Christian speaks and thinks. That passage ought to shape the way congregations work for the sake of the gospel and so that others might enjoy its blessings. One chapter over. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. And in this section, chapters 8 through 10 of 1 Corinthians, Paul has been dealing with one of the early controversies among God's people, people from Jewish backgrounds and Gentile backgrounds, and eating meats that were sacrificed to idols. Oftentimes, the only way you could find meat would be with its historical background being that it had been offered to some idol somewhere, checking out its prior history. <laughs> because meat was expensive. You gone to the grocery store lately? <laughs> well, meat was expensive, and you could get meat less expensively at that point in time if perhaps it had been offered to an idol initially. Some people who were Christians said, we don't need to be associating with that stuff at all because of the connotations with idolatry. And other Christians, doesn't this sound an awful lot like politics and sports teams? And to-do list or not to do? Not to have one? Some would say, all it is is meat. People may, you know, meat given to something that was created by man. Come on, God gave us this to eat, good things. Well, this was causing controversy and division in the early church. And notice 1 Corinthians 10.31 in that context. Paul writes, 
whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. He puts it in the current context of meat sacrificed to idols, whether you eat or drink, but he goes on to say, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. What a great passage to think about. Am I absolutely determined to have my way and my opinion about every matter, so much so I will twist each, uh, another person's arm, break their neck, or abuse them? Paul said, watch out. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Maybe the words that Brother Terry used about humility in connection with the Lord's Supper should be applied at times other than the Lord's Supper, and I'm sure that everybody would agree. Turn to Galatians. Galatians 6, verse 10. As much as we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. Galatians 6 is just one of those passages that really should grab us. In Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2... Paul deals with treating others humbly and gently. Treating others humbly and gently. That's Galatians 6, 1 and 2. You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted, and bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Having a heart that's humble and gentle. Notice verses 3 through 5. Paul would say in Galatians 6, Have a heart that's honest in self-evaluation. Have a heart that's honest in self-evaluation. We may not be who we think we are, especially when we think about what we think about. (laughs) But as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Next. Look at verses 6 through 10. Have a heart of gracious service. It is in this specific section... Verse 10 is found. Have a heart of gracious service. As we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. Every day ought to begin with a to-do list that includes an expression like that. Why not? 
I would suspect in the big scheme of things, no person is really successful that doesn't think about these types of matters on a regular basis, a daily basis. Last passage, number 8. Turn to Philippians 2, 14. Philippians 2, 14. When our children were little, we would begin with rise and shine. If that didn't work, I would loudly blow Reveille to try to get them going. If that didn't work, I would put words to Reveille. And I would say, it's time to get up now, don't be a lazy cow. It's time to get up now, don't be a lazy cow. Now, I will not debate how lazy cows are or, not, or whatever with you. But the, you know, the words just fit well. Too many people whine and are thunderclouds rather than rise and shine. Do you wake up grumpy? Well, the, the comeback to that is no, I try to let her sleep a little bit longer if at all possible. Whine and be a thundercloud. Notice verse 14. Do, there it is again, all things without murmuring or complaining. I suspect most of us want to take that verse seriously. And yet I candidly admit... I have some real struggles there. Sometimes I think do all things without murmuring and complaining applies to everything else except the circumstances that I'm presently dealing with. Notice what the passage goes on to say. That you may be blameless, innocent, without blemish, shining as lights. God never asks us to do something without giving us some pretty good motivation for doing it. And really, here is what he goes on to say, that those who do all things without murmuring and complaining are people who are holding forth the word of life in the midst of a crooked and perverse world. Jesus do all things without murmuring and complaining. Did Jesus... Have a humble, gentle heart toward others, like in Galatians 6. 
Did Jesus have an honest evaluation of who he really was and what he came to be and do? Did Jesus have a heart of gracious service? And he went to the cross without whining and he shined the love of God for you and me to see. This lesson has been helpful to everyone, but especially for those of us who are Christians. But if you're not a Christian, God has done so much to have a relationship with you. He sent Jesus. He's given us Scripture. He's been good and blesses. How will you respond? You ought to ask, what must I do to be right with God. The Bible asked that question, Acts 16, 30. Acts 2, 36 and 37. Acts 9, 4 through 6. And the Bible answers that question. What a person must do to be right with God. What a person needs to be doing to be delivered from sin through Jesus. The answer is faith. The answer is turning from sin and repentance and wanting to go God's way. The answer is acknowledging that Jesus is the Son of God with our mouths because it is conveying what we really believe in our hearts based on what God has revealed to us in Scripture. And a person who wants to be right with God will be immersed in water for the forgiveness of their sins. Why? Because God said at that very moment a person's sins are forgiven. Are you fully persuaded that God will do what He promised? He promised to remove the sins of those who are baptized. He never promised to remove sins that the blood of Jesus has not taken care of. Let us stand and sing.